Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Dallas. I'm Anne. And today we are joined by two super secret co-hosts. One more super secret than the other. We are joined by returning co-host, Evan Von Doom. How you doing, Evan? You can't see, but I'm flexing. I'm doing great, Dallas. Oof. Look at those muscles. He's ready for Creed 3. He's been in a box and move. He's got... He's not in this one. I'm Rocky. I can be Rocky. I'm I'm black. Is that what you're saying, Dallas? Yes. And you can't cut it now. Because you're going to have to cut this. (laughs) Take three? We can do take three. No, we can keep that one. The people can know. The people can see me fumble over it. My co-host the other day, he went... I'm not going to lie to you, man. You're the whitest guy I've met yet. And I said, <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but word. Thank you. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said, but I said something. He was like, that was the whitest way I've ever heard that sentence. And I was like a little deflated, but I was like, okay, yep. I'm going to go back to my desk now. Thank you. I knew you were the wise guy I knew when you said Vulture was your favorite Spider-Man villain. That's why I was that's like, true. that's a white man opinion. Mm-hmm. That's correct. Everyone that's else correct. likes Electro. Electro's got the best suit. And is very cool. True. But Vulture is the funniest. And joining us, the second whitest man of all time, Doug <laughs> from the YouTube channel for Every Kind of Geek. Hi, everybody. I would flex, but I have no muscles. So all That's I'm going to say true. is thanks for having me back. Yeah. So Alexis needed a little mental health break. Johnny Storm's death really shook her up, and she needed to take a step back. So we called in... Local expert on all things, Jonathan Hickman, Doug. If you haven't watched his YouTube channel for Every Kind of Geek, he has a number of great videos covering Hickman's time with the X-Men. And his most recent video is a retrospective of Jonathan Hickman's Fantastic Four. So we wanted to bring him on to talk with us about this super crazy section of the book. So before we get into anything too deep, what did everybody think of this chunk of Fantastic Four? It was all right. It was solid. <laughs> no, nothing really happens, but, you know, it's fine, I guess. If you like... Pretty mundane. Yeah, like, if you like big cosmic battles and concluding storylines, if that's, like, your thing. Emotional beats, yeah, I guess. It's, it's not really for me, but... You know, that moment where he's like, to me, my Galactus, and you're just like, eh, shrug, I guess, sure. <clears throat> who hasn't owned Galactus's ass at some point? I mean, who cares? I, but, you know, that's just me. Maybe other people really like this part. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, if I mean, you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, if you're in that sort of thing. The exactly. takeaway is this part has Spider-Man, so, you know, that's how you know it's good. That's Gosh, I love having so people bad. on my team. <laughs> I'm glad we're all starting this with sarcasm. I appreciate it. Yeah. I'm being sarcastic. I mean, like, kind of going into the more serious, I, I do think that this is um, a huge chapter in the run. It's, I mean, this is like the payoff section. I can see you all laughing. I'm just going to power through this. Uh, so much of how Hickman tells a story is he sets up plot after plot after plot and he just builds it until uh at some point just everything comes into focus 
And you see a lot of that here. Everything kind of is set up as like this big kind of cascade of dominoes where every single reveal builds on itself until you get this kind of ultra climax at the end of it all. I, I, I would argue this is where the run really clicked for me. I feel the same way. I feel like um, before this, the runs, it's all a very fun run. I think in the beginning, there's mm-hmm. a lot of setup. And I think we talked about that in the previous episodes. And Dallas uh, also mentioned one of the interviews where Hickman was saying that like every other issue, he was just doing basically setup. And he was doing, all right, character moments now. And right, next issue setup, next issue character moments. And it worked really well, but it was very apparent. And I think now this section of the last section, we're starting to see things finally converge and impacts happening. And it feels like we reached the end of an arc or it feels like definitely the end of at least Reed's first arc. Um, and it definitely feels like the end of an act with all the actual impact happening. I think this for me is when it became very apparent that this is the beginning of a story that will play out over the course of Avengers into secret wars and even a little bit into Hickman's work on the X-Men. Like I think prior to this portion it felt like a really ambitious, fun, fantastic forerun. And then here, the scale became more and more apparent. And just looking at how much more Fantastic Four we have, I was like, okay, the intention has absolutely been that this is going to keep spilling out of this book. This is not meant to just live here. And that is when, for me, I got more excited. Because I'm not going to lie, this chunk for me, until they got to Earth and the Armada was coming to Earth, was a little up in the air for me. Like, I haven't read War of Kings, and the family all getting pulled back together. I was having a hard time feeling the stakes until all the pieces were in the right place. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And yeah. kind of just building on on the scale that you mentioned, uh, I happened upon this totally by accident, but I went even further back through Hickman's chronology. And it's fascinating because (laughs) even kind of going back to the very, very beginning of his Marvel work, which started before Fantastic Four, it's all been building since then. It's literally just been one story. And I have a feeling that it's going to keep being one story. There's just one through line and it just never ends. And I find that so fascinating. When you say at the beginning, are you talking about Secret Warriors? Or is there something I am that? talking about Secret Warriors, but also his Shield miniseries, which uh, actually features a lot of Nathaniel Richards, which might be something that I come back to later. Interesting. I've been curious about reading Secret Warriors, but I have not gotten around to it yet. Hmm. Evan, yeah. I want to know your thoughts on this section. Oh, my... I thought I kind of gave my thoughts most. I guess I was just picking off a Doug. But yeah, I, I love this section. Um, some of my favorite characters get huge moments in this. I love the moment where Johnny Storm finally comes back. And it, we get to get some art from, I'm going to butcher his name, Carmine D. Jean Domenico, who is the artist who did um, the section where John's, Johnny Storm is actually in um, the negative zone. And that artist is one who worked on New 52 Flash, and he worked on, um, what do you work on? Spider-Man Noir. So I love his work. So when he popped up, I was like, hell yeah. So I was a big fan of that. Um, Doctor Doom, I think surprisingly, maybe Doctor Doom 
so far this was his weakest moments i think Mm -hmm. he doesn't really get a time to shine and even his moment to shine didn't feel as climactic as it could have been and maybe that's just me being biased because they do switch artists again and it kind of threw off the whole groove of that ff section for me um but we get to see a nihilus being like a pathetic bug so i really enjoyed that (laughs) we got to see my boy diablo and my boy dr doom two of my favorite fantastic four villains just having a a, a little little cat fight so i love that (laughs) (laughs) just diablo being like yeah you're gonna burn dr be like i'm not gonna burn but i'm also gonna hurt you very badly now (laughs) so i really enjoyed that the whole rise moment is amazing i love i love everything and then reed finally getting like a complete arc i think I know. I, I think I said this before when I was talking about the Wade run, where I thought that was Reed's best arc for someone getting into Reed for the first time. But this might actually this might be his best arc overall. I don't know for an introduction if it's the best, but I do think so far from going from Dark uh, Dark Rain, the miniseries that they did for Fantastic Four, all the way to this moment now, I do think this shows a better picture of or a better arc for Reed. If anyone ever had that moment, being like. Who is Reed Richards and why should I care about him? I read Civil War. He sucks. So I think this is really where we kind of get the full picture of who Reed is as a person and ending with the moment of him and his son and him just being like being the father that he never had for his son. I thought that was a really, really cool arc. And yeah, I, I, I love this section, even with the little things I don't like, like the Dr. Doom stuff. And I, I don't care about the Inhumans, I guess, at this point. I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. There's five different species of Inhumans, I guess. I'm, I'm not going to try to pretend I know what's going on. If they look cool. When Black Bolt speaks, I'm like, fuck yeah. But that's about it. That's all I got going on there. Also, the Ronan Accuser and Crystal thing, I think I missed something there. I think there was some they, other thing. Yeah, that was during War of the Kings. They got, um, okay. like, um, they got married to unite the kingdoms, basically, so the Inhumans and the Kree would be, you know, chill. But then that's they right. weren't chill. So, you know, it kind of was pointless, but then yeah. at the same time, it's just, that was set up for a different event, and Hickman's just like, well, we'll just kind of get them out of here for a second, just so we can make this work. Dallas, you're Are raising you- your hand, you have a question. So, I actually got some feedback from one of our listeners. I asked for someone to explain War of Kings, and Mason Gonzalez explained War of Kings. Should I do a quick recap from Mason Gonzalez for everybody? Please. It feels important for this run. So, War of Kings takes place post-Secret Invasion. Inhumans, where the Inhumans are working to rescue Black Bolt from being tortured by the Skrulls. After he is released, they all say, fuck Earth, we're going to be the actual Skrull kill crew and wipe them out and go to space to take over the Kree Empire. It is also after the events of the rise and fall of the Shi'ar Empire and Emperor Vulcan, where the third Summer's brother, Vulcan says, fuck Earth and the X-Men, I'm going to take over the Shi'ar. He kills a lot of people and succeeds. The War of Kings event is the two factions, Shi'ar led by Vulcan and Kree Inhumans led by Black Bolt. It turns into all-out war, ending with Black Bolt and Vulcan in a bloody final battle with a Terrigen bomb that erupts in the middle of space, creating the fault. Gladiator takes over the Shi'ar and Medusa leads the Kree, and that leads into Realm of Kings, which I sadly have not read yet. Wait, what? Oh, Realm of Kings. Okay. I love Cosmic Marvel. Black Bolt escapes the fault while Vulcan is presumed dead. As you know, in Krakoa, X-Men, we will learn what actually happened to him, only to be low-diffed by Storm, which sucked. I know Storm is strong and would beat him, but it shouldn't have been that easy. I disagree, Mason. 
Storm wiped the floor with that pathetic ass man. Just yeah, it's not even about Vulcan at this point, but just don't speak on the storm ever again, Mason. Yeah, <laughs> ever again. Agree. You're done. You're cut off. Anyway, Mason says, love the podcast. Sorry for another lengthy email. Mason, we appreciate it, and I appreciate you explaining War of Kings to me. I am just not as good of a nerd as you. And I appreciated that. <laughs> and I guess uh, yeah. to, to anybody listening, I feel like War of Kings is good if you want context, but what's surrounding the Inhumans is more, I'd argue, thematic than plot wise, or it's more important thematically than it is plot wise. Uh, something that I've kind of realized is that. This War of the Four Cities, which obviously like the Inhumans and um, I'm trying to remember who it is, is all the on Moloids, that. The Moloids, the Atlanteans, and then Jesus Christ. Yeah, there, yeah. there's so many. In Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess what, what I'm trying to say is um, each of the four cities and the leaders who represent them are all kind of made to be dark mirrors to read so while war of kings can definitely set up for this i'd argue the big points that really stuck with me is that black bolt and the inhumans are kind of this funhouse mirror version of reed and the ff in this situation um specifically like i want to talk about the intro of this book because we start with the inhumans and we get an awful lot of preamble to this big battle. And something that I realized is that Hickman in so few words sets up why Reed and the FF are our point of view characters, why they're the heroes in this. Um, a lot of the inhuman setup here is showing how they're kind of like put on the back foot, how they're being pushed into doing kind of like what not what's necessarily right but what they need to do and i mean like you see once black bolt comes back and once he sits down on the throne he's not kind of in the same place that reed is uh so much of this arc is like showing how reed has to kind of get out of his own head and realize that he's part of something bigger but there's that moment where Black Bolt comes back into the room and then everybody just bows around him. And I feel like that is a very intentional parallel. It's kind of Hickman saying, this is where the FF succeed, where everybody else kind of isn't getting it. You, you have to be part of a collective to win the day in this. I guess that does play out really well with the conclusion of the whole conflict, right? That this Reed was only successful because of the love he gave his family, that all the other Reeds and all the other worlds, all the other universes failed at this moment because they were not the Reeds that had the family that they could depend on. Like every single member of the family had to do something. And it really felt that way. Like it felt like everyone had a great moment in this chunk. And that's not always something you can say about the fantastic four. And it was really refreshing. Like I remember when we talked about Wade and Wiringo's fantastic four, people said that a good Sue 
was in Hickman's run. And we all were like, we'll have to see when we get there. I have really been impressed with Sue Storm and Jonathan Hickman's. I don't know if it's just, it's always such a famine. So her being like a normal, cool (laughs) character feels like this great feast, but it really does feel like she is a fleshed out person with her own motivations and personality and strengths in a way that she often is not in these stories. I loved her moment of Val saying like, there'll be a moment when you think you're going to have, you're at your limit, but you'll need to push a little bit more and then look to the heavens. Like that whole two page stretch of Sue being the X factor that keeps it all together for the few more seconds they need was fantastic. And second only to the very obvious rise to me, my Galactus that literally sent chills. I, (laughs) I don't know what Jonathan Hickman puts in these comics, but he knows how to give me chills. He'll be doing something that I have no emotional attachment to at all. And he just plays it so damn cool that I was like, wow, (laughs) that was incredible. I mean, like, especially talking about Sue, we even start off the minute we cut to the FF. Something that I love is that, I mean, throughout this entire chapter, all of the members are kind of bouncing off each other in different ways. Something that really stuck out to me is, um, Actually, something that um, reminded me of what Evan said in the last episode. Uh, I think you mentioned somewhere like you wanted a moment where Reed has to realize that like he he's a part of a team, and specifically he is um, he's an equal to Sue. And at that point, we kind of start right off the bat with Nathaniel trying to like pit them against each other. And almost immediately he's like, no, yeah, I told her everything. And there's just this awkward silence after. I can't get a read on Nathaniel. What does the room think of Nathaniel? I have Uh, some thoughts, but I want somebody else to go first. I honestly not a hundred. I don't like him. I don't think. <laughs> but I think he is just like an absent father who maybe is trying his best. But at the same time, I can't get a read on if he actually like loves, loves Reed or if Reed is just like his son and his responsibility. And it sometimes seems like he doesn't even know how he feels entirely. But then you have moments where he's like hanging out with like Val and uh, future Val and future Franklin. And he's just kind of like my everything, my world, we're doing this together. And again, it's hard to give a read if like they're, so special to him because they're useful or they're so special to him because they're his family. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but sometimes it is really hard, especially since he abandoned his boy. Yeah. I think there's this really interesting phenomenon with grandparents where you see them latch onto the generation that they're not responsible for, Mm. that it's very easy to give a lot of love to the children of the kids that you hurt because ultimately you aren't responsible for those grandkids in the same way. So you can just be there in a kind-hearted way. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it is interesting that Nathaniel seems to have no issue connecting with Val and Franklin, where he does have such a hard time connecting with Reed, because ultimately it's easier to be fun grandpa than good dad. (laughs) That's true. That's a really good read. Thanks. What do you think of Nathaniel, Anne? I don't think I have any thoughts that haven't been said already. He's 
just a, a sketchy motherfucker. <laughs> I just, I, I, I feel like I want to believe that he cares about Reed, but I don't think he does. I think it's purely a want. I think he's just after everything that he went through, killing all the other Nathaniels across the multiverse. I think he's just here because he's feeling guilty about it. I think that's the only reason he's truly involved. I think if that didn't happen, he would have been just as absent as he was before. But since he's been through that and since he's seen what happens to his read, he's here because he feels a responsibility not really to his son, but it's it's hard to say he feels like this is something he wants for himself, not for his son. I think it's to alleviate his conscience. Do you think it helps his conscience to wear that stupid of an outfit, or do you think he just does that for fun? I think he just does that for fun. I don't know what you're you're talking about. He looks cool as hell. So he dresses like Camp Galactus on purpose. I mean, it runs through the family, and it never runs out of their jeans. Yeah. (laughs) I feel so bad for Franklin and Val that they had to look up to that man as a fashion icon in their future suits. I know, he has a ponytail. He has a ponytail and giant shoulder spikes. He looks like a moron. I don't want to accidentally spoil. I don't know. I don't recall if this is actually brought up in this run, but. Or is this where this run. Am I going to spoil something? No. I'm not going to spoil anything. That's half the fun of Hickman runs. You don't know where something yeah. is, uh, is far ahead or. I'm just going to say thing. one thing. Kang, is that is that from this or is that from before that's this? Slot, I think that's Dan Slot. Yeah, Dan Slot made Kang Nathan. No, that can't be. That can't be. Right. Oh no! So that's oh, like, that's, that's from yeah. way back in the sixties. So okay, Kang, good. I can remember. Kang that. has always been kind of connected to the FF. Yeah, but he just I so happens he was... to be named Nathaniel. He's like a descendant a billion years in the future. Oh, okay. Okay, I see. Oh, that's right. That's right. All right, I got it mixed up. Speaking I didn't know if of... it was like a paradox thing where they go. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of back in the 60s, something that I really love that Jonathan Hickman does in the Fantastic Four specifically is pulling the fact that the whole Marvel Universe was built out of Stan and Jack's Fantastic Four comics. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't feel inappropriate to then have universe-wide stakes now, right? Because the scroll and the Cree and the Inhumans and the Annihilation Wave, Annihilus, it all comes out of Fantastic Four comics. Everything mm-hmm. comes from the Fantastic Four. They are the focal point that invited all of this in. And all of that has gone out to pasture and become bigger and better as it goes. And mm. so on its face, this run feels like, man, the Fantastic Four are really at the center of everything in this huge conflict in a way they're not usually. But he's done such a good job seeding the fact that they have relationships with all of these groups up to this point that it feels more like a love letter and a callback to the scale of Stan and Jack's Fantastic Four mm-hmm. than a Fantastic Four or in over their head story, which yeah. I appreciated. Speaking of appreciated and back in the 60s, the three dudes have been talking a lot, but Anne, we never heard your thoughts about uh, what you thought of 
the run, the section, and also I want to hear your thoughts about how Sue was treated in this section. If you thought that was action improvement or just uh, three dudes saying it was good, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, so I haven't said a lot. I've been written by Stan Lee this episode, so I need to actually get back to the kitchen. Um, it's Listen, I was joking at the beginning, but this run is really, this is the moment when you're reading a Hickman run and you're starting to go, okay, I see it. I get it. I understand. Everything's coming together perfectly. It's the moment you realize that nothing you've read so far has been to waste. It's that, it's the same feeling you get when you get to the end of Invincible and all those little mini threads going on at the same time start disappearing because they all kind of converge and intertwine their way into the single main narrative. This was the moment, I think going off what Evan said earlier was fantastic. This is the moment that's like, I, at least I think Evan, you said it. This is the moment where you're like, okay, I love this run. This isn't just a great run anymore. This is, this is a phenomenal run. Um, the, everything that happens between Franklin and Galactus was ingrained in my brain. The first time I read through this, which was probably about, I want to say four years ago, three years ago. It's been a while, but it's, one of those panels where you read it for the first time and you never ever forget it it's just there forever and always it's it's fun and it i think the the bad thing about it is it actually overshadows for me a lot of the other things that are happening at that moment because i did not remember the moment that sue had right before it that bought them that time i didn't remember anything that was happening with the future foundation hell i didn't remember that the avengers were around for this to you know <laughs> hang out for two seconds all i remember is to me my galactus and that's that's it that was the the resonance that the story had coming back it's it's nice to see those other emotional moments it's when you get a story of the scale i think sometimes it's easy for the smaller things to get lost because you have these characters that are so small doing such intimate and personal actions and um, their motivations and what's pushing them through against creatures that are literally the size of mountains. And I feel like that juxtaposition of scale some sometimes um, shakes me off, not shakes me. I'm trying to find the right word for it. It's like, it kind of, it's not off putting, but it throws me for a loop sometimes where it's like, I got to keep, adjusting back between these two scenes that are happening in front of me. I think this does a pretty good job balancing it. And I like I like that Sue scene a lot. I I liked it a lot a lot. I think I'm trying to Honestly, I think that Sue was treated a lot better here than Valeria was. I'm still not sure what future Valeria really did, but she was there. She gave some high fives. <laughs> she was um when they come back through the portal it's it's really interesting to me because um they both come back and they're presented as these equal characters like su- superimposed larger than life these these angels like shining from heaven the the guardian angels coming to save their parents and then franklin gets to have these really really awesome and cool moments and i'm still not quite sure what valeria was there for she's she's a character who's like Yo, I'm here. I'm also a Richards kid. We're 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 kicking ass and taking names, and I'm kind of like we like Franklin's up there punching a god, and you're like giving your younger self devil eyes. Like I don't like you. So I'm just trying to figure out. It's I don't think it's something that's intentional. It's just both of these kids are very skilled and superhuman in their own ways. Franklin just happens to be 
someone with the powers of a god and Valeria just happens to be the smartest person ever and one of those definitely lends itself better to the comic book medium and to giving that that sense of awe and spectacle that a climax like this is looking for it's just i feel like on the personal side of things i was talking i'm not sure if the the recording caught this or not but when i was talking about how when franklin's finding the gods it feels a little bit out of scale and out of proportion to everything that's happening below with the actual richard's family watching this all happen where it's like that juxtaposition of the big larger than life action and the small intimate moment i feel like i would have liked more of that small intimate moment there to feel as important as Franklin summoning Galactus to be his herald. I think if I had like one critique the second time through of that big action scene, that would be it. It's not to say it's not a scene that's fucking phenomenal and would get me cheering in a a fucking movie theater if I saw it. That was absolutely spectacular. But I think there are definitely moments that Hickman has had before and will have again where I'm like, there was opportunity here for something a little bit deeper, but we didn't get all the way there. But I can't like fault him for that because he's doing so much at once with so many different plot lines and through lines. Someone's always going to get the someone's always going to get stuck with the um the bill. Someone's always going to have to to pay that, and it's not always the character you want it to be. It's I think it's so interesting though. I'm sorry if I cut you off. Go ahead. You go. No, you go. I was going to say it's, it's very interesting because I, I never thought of it like that, especially with all of the, the context that we get about Val uh, with her and the, the kind of weird relationship she has with her future self. It's mm-hmm. stuff that we definitely get in the aftermath that I, I've kind of put together since reading. The idea, I think, that Hickman was trying to... I guess put forth is maybe um, Franklin is somebody who shines later, but Val is someone who starts out brilliant, but kind of has to, I don't know, like kind of go on the same path Nathaniel does later. It's kind of like, because she obviously spends a lot of the early run hanging out with doom, kind of like calling him uncle and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the impression that I got is Reed sees her as someone who's already infinitely smarter than him, but doesn't quite grasp the full context of that. The same way Franklin didn't really get a handle on his powers at the same time though. I think you're totally right. Anne. like at the end of the day, um, comic books do favor all the visuals and, like there's only so much story you can cram in that said, like if there was more balance, this is about the kids. So I, I would like to see both of them. I do think to Anne's point, it, there doesn't ever seem to be an issue with making Reed the center of a story mm-hmm. as an intelligent character. Obviously there's some physicality to his power set, but until the recent Ryan North and Ebon Coelho comics, I frankly couldn't remember the last time that, the physicality of Reed Richards was a prominent role of the character. Mm-hmm. He's very much just the smartest guy there running everything. So I think there was an opportunity to have Val be the smartest person running things there. You know, these comics already know how to do that. I think it was a lost opportunity to not do that with Val. Mm-hmm. 
I think as well, a one sincere criticism I've seen of Jonathan Hickman that can come through sometimes is that he definitely is a rule of cool writer. He has these big concepts. He likes vibes. But if there is an opportunity for someone to say a kick-ass line that like a guitar riff could go behind, he will go for that. And that's not so much a flaw as much as just a feature, right? And so I think when you're presented with, again, I'm just reiterating what Anne said, but Val doing something even more intelligent than what Reed could do, or having the complete unique beat of, to me, my Galactus, that no one else has done anything close to, I think Jonathan Hickman is the kind of writer that opts for the second option. And that it really just boils down to his approach, I think. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's so. Oh, go for it. Nope, all you. It's just there was something you mentioned earlier where it's like Val- Valeria starts off really smart and then she eventually gets to where she is now. Young Valeria is such an interesting character, and I really want to see that that journey that she goes through. And I know that she's currently out of the Ryan North stuff, but I can't wait to see until she, when, I can't wait to see when she comes back. Cause I think everything that they've been doing so far, absolutely fantastic on that run. So I'm excited to see someone that utilizes her very, very well. I'll say it getting rid of the Matt, Alicia and Ben's kids for however many issues they're going to be gone. That's my villain, villain origin story. As the only person who liked Dan Slott's Fantastic Four, I have been loving Ryan North's Fantastic Four, but I have felt personally victimized by how much it's like, none of that happened. Please come back. This is a fresh start. Please, we've changed. We're different now. I was like, shut up. I liked how you were before. They were like, we can't hurt you anymore. I was like, you weren't hurting me. Just everyone else, but not me. I loved it. Please keep hurting everyone else. I'm okay. As a white straight male, that has been our modus operandi. So. Ouch. And look, I'm hurt again. You're doing your job. It comes in the manual, actually. (laughs) All these years, I wondered why I never got the manual. Now I know. Listen, they knew. The homophobic dog hands out the books, actually. (laughs) It just said, I know what you are. And didn't give you one. Fuck that dog. (sighs) But there's... I'm I'm trying to think. I didn't want to start with like a a critique. I was just... I keep going through that main section because that's everything that's... That's the big chunk of it. That's everything that's so fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. I love the future foundation kids so much and it just keeps building and building and i'm so glad we got to see them in action i'm glad we got the power pack in this little section too i love them very very much shout out to evan and the power pack yeah when i saw them i was like i'm so excited to hear evan talk about them oh man <laughs> you're gonna hate this <laughs> oh that, that section was the most boring part of the section and i say Whoa. something because i hate the inhuman stuff Damn. i know that's it was good up until the story started to go back and forth between the two books and being like, mm. oh, we're over here in a Fantastic Four and Giant Storm's back. And I'm like, let's go. They go to FF. I'm like, all right, cool. We're still building stuff up. And then they're going back and forth. The gods are there like, oh, no. And then, 
don't, as soon as it got to like the last few issues of the FF, like the last I want to say like two or three issues where all the main stories happening in like the Fantastic Four book now. At that mm-hmm. point, I was kind of just like really checked out because I honestly mm-hmm. I don't really care about those kids except for like the kids I care about. I don't give a <laughs> shit about I don't give a shit about Leech. I don't care about Bentley. Damn. I, I, can't, I didn't even know. I don't. I didn't even know. I did. I felt this way until I was reading this section. I was like, "Damn, skip, 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 skip." I was just like very zooming through it, look at the pictures. But even when the power pack popped up, and I was like, "Let's go!" I saw them on the main issue. Look, I'm gonna show you guys. I took a screenshot. I was so excited when they popped up. I got the screenshot ready so I could talk about it. And I was like, read the issue. And I was the whole time. They didn't really get to do anything. They kind of showed up, do some little powers, and they were gone. So I know they come back for like FF stuff a little bit later. Um, I don't even know if Hickman's writing FF when they come back. Now I think about it. So, but I sorry the the foundation right now is just not very interesting to me. And again, it could be biased because the art style changed and that really threw me for a loop. I was. Um, that's basically it. I'm sorry, just to be a hater right now, but I I didn't like it. No, I mean, I think that's fair. It's definitely a tonal dissonance switching back and forth between those issues. Um, And also, I was talking, I was actually reading these issues yesterday. I was with some friends. I just kind of just thought it out loud. I'm like, I don't really mind artist changes unless it really feels like it changes the book. Like, because what starts, because I was reading these in like their, um, the trades, because that's what I had in my comicsology. So starting with um, FF Volume 3, that art switch between Volume 2 and Volume 3, the volume in, the, the, the artist in Volume 3 isn't bad. I just think that compared to what it was before, which is like this, you know, very late 2000s, um, more realistic style into this almost Chris Bacalo looking very... Um, Hey now, hey now. Put hey. I love Chris Bacalo. Right? I was going to say we love Chris Bacalo. I'm just saying the style is more like Chris Bacalo than it is okay. Okay. anything else. I was, was, I was my... not going to catch some strays. No yeah, way. I wasn't, I, wasn't, I wasn't trying to. I'm just saying that when it happens that fast, it takes a second for my brain to like switch back in. Because it's like I've the art, even if it changes artists, the style stays consistent. And that gives you the tone of the book. That gives you the that it's it feels like the book's dna and when that switches so much that you have to like reposition yourself reevaluate what you're reading i think that takes away from a bit and then switching back and forth between that style and what's happening in the larger than life fantastic four book definitely definitely a bit of a unfair contrast there it feels like huge end of the world things are happening in fantastic four and then, like, you know, pretty interesting things are happening in FF, but not nearly as big as what's happening over here, which is crazy because that big stuff really starts in those FF issues with the Celestials and that um, that last read. Yeah, and then the last read just dies. <laughs> Sorry, the, he just dies and it's boring. It's like, I, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not a Hickman hater anymore, but he just, like... I've listened to your sections on every episode. <laughs> I know what you said about the Krakoan era, Evan. I'm yeah, I stand by that. Krakoan era sucks. It's boring as hell. It was like if this was on steroids. That's how boring you it was. the wrong co-host to say that to, buddy boy. Yo, that's I'm all not, I'm, gonna, I'm not afraid of you or Dallas. You guys can both find me. Wait till we start talking about Tom King. Just kidding, Tom King. Tom, I love you. He follows me on Twitter. We're, we're friends now. <laughs> <laughs> I never said anything bad about Tom King. I love his work. I love uh, Here's a Crisis. Um, but 
Hopefully, I hope he doesn't listen to this. I actually do like Top Gear. Um, but no, my thing is just that. What was I talking about? Not the Krakoa era. You oh, yeah. said boring. He just dies, right? So, like, yeah. I get like maybe there's like some type of the mag scope of being like Celestials are bigger than us. They don't really care about our our stories. Like this is a big story to us, but like Celestial just kind of pops him and we're done. Doom doesn't get his revenge. I'm okay with that. But also at the same time, it's kind of like. He kind of gets a cool send off that's kind of like tragic, but also like good for us because he's technically a bad guy. But at the same time, it just didn't feel like the weight was totally there. And again, it could have been just because of the art style switch, but or because I'm a hater for the FF. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, probably that. Yeah. Probably a little bit of that. Yeah. I have like 30 seconds and then I want to let Doug talk because he has really interesting things to say about the art. Yeah, also look at his face and like his hands. He's doing the hand thing where you kind of like (laughs) tap your hands together. He's so excited to pop in right now. I have 30 seconds of something to say. The only thing that has ever made me care about Celestials was when we read Neil Gaiman and John Romita Jr.'s Eternals. And I think that if I had not read this, I would not care at all about Celestials ever. With their weird little talk where they're like, hello, friend enemy. And I was like, shut the hell up. But for some reason, Neil Gaiman being like, no, you see, that's because they're so much bigger than us. Their language, it doesn't translate. And I was like, tell me more, Neil. Oh my gosh. Tell me that over a pint. And so I like the Celestials and FF. I will get into why I liked FF, but I want to let Doug go sicko mode on the art. I'm going to take uh, a chance to flip the script and say that everything that you two just said was wrong. I <gasps> now, I, now it feels like a Comics Collective episode. <laughs> yeah, the white man telling the black man and the hey, hey now. trans woman they're wrong. Hey We'd love to hear it's that okay. let, let him, Let's hear, let's hear what the he has to say. great. <laughs> Wait, I'm usually the white man in this. What do you mean this feels like the regular episode of the Comics Collective? I interpret it how you will. You're good at that. What the? Ah! (laughs) Thanks for my time. That's all I've had to say. Bye, everybody. (laughs) No, I... I'm going to... Like I said, I'm going to flip the script a little bit. I'm going to play devil's advocate for the art changes. I think... It's because I always see Hickman as like the prime collaborator. The reason why I like the art is because I feel like every different artist is being used for a specific purpose here. It's not just the fact that like they have to fill however many issues by the deadline. Every tonal shift, every kind of major development is punctuated by an art change. So, I mean, I wanted to talk last segment about how the more realistic sections where like you're feeling everything close in is done by Steve Epting who renders everybody like much more human than the kind of like doc savage stuff that Dale Eaglesham did. But I mean, starting off on this, I forget who the artist was. I have the the page pulled up. I think it was Greg Ticini who did the inhuman stuff. I remember him doing a couple of issues of ultimate, ff just detailing that version of the silver surfer and since then i have i've seen him as like the guy who draws aliens so seeing that whole section with the inhumans rendered in that art style but like especially with all that prose it felt super appropriate same when they they go back to steve epting and paul mounts for 
FF showing all the human drama stuff. And then obviously uh, translating to like the, the later issues when they're dealing with the celestials, everybody is kind of like small and anime esque to show just how tiny they are. Um, and I'll admit like sometimes it comes down to personal taste I I'm not a huge fan of like all the stylistic choices, but I do think in the broader scope of the story, it works. And I mean, that said, kind of going off of what Dallas was saying about the Celestials, it's one of those things where I feel like, I don't know, like there's an assumption with Hickman that you have to go in doing all your homework, reading literally everything from the 60s onward to make sense of it. But I do think it's kind of like just an icing on the cake in this situation. You can absolutely look up the Eternals and the Celestials and everything. But at the end of the day, they're just big, crazy robots. You know, what I love about it is like, you don't have to really know what their motivation is. They say they're the mad Celestials and you'll go, oh, well, that sounds terrifying. (laughs) And I think... Hickman walks that balance of rewarding people who are there for a lot more of it, but also just letting anybody who picked up this book read at their own pace. That's all I have to say on that. I had nice things to say about the art too, but in light of recent allegations about me, I'm just going to say, I agree with Ann and Evan. No, no, no. I want to hear it. Art, please. Art is trash. Uh, I, hate I am the wrong. No, no, no. I never right, said art is. Hey, we putting words in our mouth. No, um, yeah. You guys are putting words in our yeah. mouth. I don't like this. Let me back this up. I am the problem. Is on I, podcast. The problem is that I dislike the art. I like all the art. I had no issues when it was in, in different arts doing in humans and then switching on to this. And I didn't mind. I don't mind the art changes. It just doesn't work in this one instance because we keep having to go back and forth between these two mm-hmm. different same story, same type of vibe is going for. It's not changing vibes this time. In humans, was a totally different vibe. They're doing like this space epic thing where he, Black Bolt's floating in space like Jesus, and he's just or Man of Steel, whatever you want to do, and he's just. <laughs> and, and it's like a beautiful. He's beautiful. He's fighting for his life. It's like a very, it's a very surreal and beautiful experience. So you need a different artist for that. And then you come all the way fast forward fifteen issues, and you're going back and forth for five or six issues now, where everything's mm-hmm. building up together. And you're supposed to be going, at least the way you're supposed to read it, uh, how it comes out weekly and how they present it in the back of their books where they're telling you how to read it. They're saying, all right, go to number 600. All right, now go to number 15 of FF. Now back to mm-hmm. F4, now back to FF. So going back and forth, back and forth, reading it like that, instead of reading it one at a time, reading it back and forth, you're kind of going like, whoa, this feels grounded. This feels epic. The art style is very specific for the realism thing. Then you go to the same tone. But then you're like, oh, it's a little bit more sketchy. It's a little bit more cartoony. Doctor Doom looks like a goblin. Like it's a fun. <laughs> it's fun. That he looks like a scarecrow. It's fun. He doesn't have a nose in this panel. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes he's frowning. It's like it's very interesting. But then you're, mm-hmm. you're just, when you're going back and forth like that, it's a it's a culture not a culture shock. But it's a shell shock every single time because, like Anne was saying, you're prepared for one thing. You're reading for thirty issues, getting used to it. Oh, I guess I'm changing it now for the next thirty issues or sorry, thirty pages. And you're like, all right, so now I'm reading for like this another 30 pages. Then you go back, you're like, I just got used to the old one. Now I'm switching back to this one where it actually makes sense for me. So that's my problem with it is that I love that Hickman's collaborate. I love he's going for different tones. Mm-hmm. Um, I have nothing against that. I have 100% against me having to go back and forth for these issues and having whole totally different shock every single time I read it. 
Do you I will think, give it. I'll sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Do you think that the art plays into the characters that are the POV, like Reed and the grown-ups have a more grounded art style as they're looking at these things that are happening in a very pragmatic way, and the book that's all about the kids has the much more cartoony. Doctor Doom is a goblin and a scarecrow. This is a more simple art style because we are children understanding things on a grander scale. That's yeah, how I likely. interpreted it. That's like, very really likely. Like that and I like that. Does it work? Mm-hmm. No. Because again, <laughs> we're jumping back and forth. It's like it's a really yeah. cool concept. If it was just for, for one that. page, I would be okay with that. You know, if it's like one page every yeah. once in a mm-hmm. while. But that's not what it is. It's 30 pages, then 30 pages again of something different, then 30 pages again of something different. And we do this stuff multiple times. And then we have another art style. What I love, Carmen did whatever his name. I can't say his whole name. I'm so sorry. I tried so many times. Thank you. But Man, I love his art be style. bothered to pronounce I'm, the artist's name. I'm a huge fan. I love his run on Ultimates. I love Spider-Man Noir. So I love his work. And it worked, his worked perfectly because it was in and then we were done. We got Johnny's story. Giant story is done in like maybe two sections, two chapters, and then we're going back to regular art style. And we don't get this with this because we have to keep this whole story <laughs> narrative and we keep dumping back and forth. And then this the kids is- aren't even there. Oh. Never mind. I don't want to. No, no, no. I was just going to back you up because you were completely right. That's exactly how I felt. Lexi was texting me today and she was asking, <laughs> What's the reading guide for this? What's the-? I'm like, Listen, what you got to do is you got to get two iPads. Hold one in each hand. <laughs> one's for Fantastic Four, the other one's for FF. And then you just read, so go left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand. That's how you do it. And that's how I read through this time. And it's, I get why the art is the way it is. And I think in that vacuum, it works. Like I accidentally read straight through that um, third or fourth volume of FF. And I'm like, I get used to the art. It's like, okay, yeah, this is a great style for these kids. I love it. The power pack looks great. These kids look great. I understand what they're going for. But then later when I came back, I'm like, okay, I forgot. I got to do the, the flip-flop every time I'm reading it. And it's it just takes you out of it. takes It's like um physically having to shift down like two gears and then get back up to speed. And then as soon as you get back up to speed, you got to shift down again. That's just that's just how it hit me reading these. <laughs> I'm sure when they were coming out at the time and you could have that space between them, I'm sure it didn't feel as bad. But for me binging it this time, it... It was definitely something that I noticed. And I no, think it's an effect pacing. I do get that. It's kind of like the the Hawkspox effect of it all, you know? Mm-hmm. I do think and I, I love the interlocking story approach, but I won't lie. There are moments I can see Dallas nodding his head aggressively. <laughs> there are moments where I do think uh like the binge pacing really serves the story, but at the same time, it's the fact that it's they're they're almost encouraging you to read these as one interlocking story instead of two mm-hmm. points of view on the same series of events. Yeah. And it's it's something that I don't really have the answer for. That's the one thing. And I actually called this out when I did um a video on FF because I originally just read them as two separate experiences and then halfway through Johnny is just back. Yeah. And I'm like, what <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> What's that on his arm? <laughs> and it's, uh, I don't know. It's tricky. I think mm-hmm. it's something that has changed as kind of like the Hickman school of comics has evolved. But uh, I mean, like the, it's always tricky. You know, the medium has its limitations and the writers working within them have theirs. Uh, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. 
That said, mm-hmm. I do like the experiment for what it yeah. is. Mm-hmm. And also that I'm moment when, that. oh, sorry, that moment when Johnny came back, that's when I realized I fucked up and I missed something and I had to go back. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I will say Greg Tuccini is one of my favorite comic artists of all time. And so mm. getting the jump surprise that he was just going to do two issues of this out of nowhere was delightful. I opened it up and I was like, wow. I was like, the first time I met you was in the book Low, and you gave me one of the craziest page turn nude scenes I've ever seen in any comic ever. And I was 17, and my mom was in the room, and I was like, ah! And slammed it shut and was like... I was like, I'll never forgive you for that, Greg Tuccini, but your art is beautiful. Anyway, here's the Inhumans. Yeah, anyway, here's Black Bull being the Man of Steel. Yeah, and like, issue three of Low, there's a page turn that if you've read that series, you know what I'm talking about. That I was like, my mom's in the room. My mom's in the room. And then I ran away and finished it somewhere else. Flo <laughs> is a good comic, by the way. Evan, other Rick Remender fan, you should check it out. It's oh, really good. You should love with that. It's Very Rick long. Remender, Greg Ticini, and it stars a blonde protagonist that is a female that is in charge yeah. of things. I don't know who that's. It's not in space. It's not in space, but it is underwater thousands Which of years in the future. Space. So it's a little alieny. Yeah. So people float and there's weird things. And there's a blonde who is taking charge of things out there. Drawn by Greg Tuccini. I've never finished it because I was angry at how long it took for the end of it to come out. So I've literally <laughs> read everything but the last two issues because I was like, fuck you two. I waited six years. I'm not finishing it. I probably will eventually. I was just so mad. I was so like, it's 30 issues and it took you six years to do them. I'm going to tie one of you to a chair. Like this is misery. That's enough about Rick Remender. We got space blondes at home. Let's, let's get back to the story. Can I get that on the shirt? <laughs> we have space. Enough about Recremender. We have space blondes at home. I'm photoshopping that right now. Thank you. <laughs> what do we want to talk about? I don't, I don't know. I just wanted to steer the conversation back. We do have a lot of listener questions this time that could help guide us for the rest of the conversation. Yeah. Oh wait! Um, the the big thing before we get into there, Johnny's resurrection. I wanted to get mm. people's thoughts on his time in the negative zone. Mm. Pretty big fan. Pretty weird. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. We got to see him die like five times. Yeah, pretty yeah. chill. I really loves his like... resurrections. I loved all the worms. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that black horse guy. I thought he was so dope. I don't know what oh, it was, but it just it made a little part of my brain be like, cool black horse <laughs> with a cool black big sword. Wah, 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 wah. And Johnny's yeah, like, I'm going through this whole thing. Black holes. It was, yeah, every time Johnny was on the screen, I was like, shut up and bring back the horse. <laughs> Where is this horse's series? Give him 40 <laughs> issues. <laughs> I also like that um, we get a spoiler for the end of Secret Wars in one page of this. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that was pretty fun. Big fan of that. Going back and reading that, I was like, oh, it's all planned out. It's funny because I think 
Johnny's story is like another big moment where everything clicked for me. Like it's funny because I, my log line for this is like, I see FF is the JLU of, of the fantastic four story. Mm -hmm. They lost somebody and they spend a lot of this time rebuilding and they treat it as a team. But I think the whole lesson here is that they are a family. And the minute they acknowledge that they're a family, it becomes this big story about how nothing can keep them apart. And that's the thing that we have to hold on to. I really like that. That's beautiful. You're good at this talking about comics thing, Mr. Doug. <laughs> yeah, you should have a YouTube you make video a YouTube. or something. God damn it. Could yeah. it be for you know, every man too slow? Could it be oh, for every kind of geek or is it only for certain kinds of geeks? Yeah, it's it's going to be a very exclusionist YouTube channel. I hear those do very well. <laughs> as long as you're yelling about the right things. Absolutely. Women, minorities. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> I just pictured you being like, women, minorities, what do we think of those? <laughs> let's, feel out, let's feel out the room. I like that Pro, idea. against, I could go either way. Just... <laughs> What doing is the his usual, opinion? It's just Doug doing his very usual intro to like a, a video essay, but just we all know that minorities exist in this world, but <laughs> do they deserve rights? Question. His answer was no, only on a funky little island. <laughs> I'm gonna go lie down now. <laughs> um. The other thing I wanted to talk about was I really liked the moment where they all get sent through the uh, inhuman teleporting door and Spider-Man's yeah. like, oh, where's it? Can it send us back in time? Like, what does it actually do? And it says, it sends you where you need to be. And it was really, really cool. Um, let's ignore Nathaniel Richards for now. Um, it was really, really <laughs> cool to see Reed go to Sue and for Spider-Man to go to Ben. Uh, so Spider-Man's the catalyst to be like, Ben, I was sent here because you need to hear this. Go home, man. That was really that made that, that. I almost cried right there. I almost cried when Johnny came back too, but that was the moment where I was like, "Go home, man. <laughs> family needs you." It's about yeah, to quote to quote Vin Diesel, it's all about family. Family. I love <laughs> Spider-Man as the moral center of the Marvel universe. That's something that Chip Zdarsky brought up in an interview I was listening to, where he said he got a lot of pushback from Marvel when he wanted Spider-Man to come and scold Daredevil for not measuring up. Mm -hmm. and he's like i really put my foot down and i said no this is something that we need to do spider-man is the moral center of the marvel universe that's why he's at the heart of the civil war conflict in the original civil war because whatever spider-man decides is correct because even though he beats himself up even though he like makes wrong choice at the end of the day peter parker will make the morally correct decision and so i like slingshotting him to Ben and him being the person that says like, Hey man, the right thing to do is to come back mm. because I think both outside of universe and inside universe, people know that if Spider-Man is telling you that something is right, it is right. He's not going to lead you astray. And I like that because he's Spider-Man and I love Spider-Man. I do love Spider-Man. He's my favorite selfish, selfless man. <laughs> he just that's how I describe I don't want to go on a Spider-Man right we'll save it for a different video but I, that's how I describe Spider-Man is that I think he's a selfish man that's what makes him so human relatable to me is not I don't like when they make him pathetic and like a loser and a simp I like when that wasn't directed at anyone uh, I like it when <laughs> um, when they 
when they understand the character that he's human, he's selfish, and he's trying his best to be selfless. And we see that literally in his first story, where he makes a selfish de decision. And from that moment on, there's consequences. And so from those consequences, he learns, I have to act selflessly, even when I don't want to. And every single time he acts in a selfish way, he's immediately punished, and he's brought back to that lesson. So mm -hmm. I think that goes right to what you were saying, what Zdarsky believes. Um, he, that was, that's what makes him, for me, the moral center of this universe, because he's the one that lived through these experiences of being like, this is what I learned from being selfish. Here's what is probably the right thing to do. Even if it's the hardest thing, we have to do it. So mm -hmm. I can't believe Marvel would say no to that for the Daredevil story. I really want to hear yeah, the reasoning behind that. Apparently, they really did not like it. And he's, it's kind of been a feather in his cap that that is something that a lot of people loved. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a big moment in his run that he was like, hey, yeah. I was right. I was right. You guys told me <laughs> this was bad. And I was right. Uh, it's so weird because, also, like, oh, go ahead. No, you. I was going to say, because also in, like, the Punisher Warzone book by, um, who's right? Not Fraction. Was it Fraction? Anyway, the, the book that came out, like, a few Punisher books before this Daredevil one came out, but it was by the same, the same artist worked on it. So for me, those, those two books are really connected for some reason. Um, but in that one, Spider-Man does the same thing where he's just like, yo, guys, like there's this meeting called to the Avengers and Avengers like, oh, Cap, why'd you call the meeting? Cap's like, I didn't call the meeting. Who called the meeting? And everyone's looking around. The Spider-Man appears just like, I called the meeting. Today's the day we take down the Punisher. And they all laugh at him, but he's just like, he lays down. <laughs> and he's just like, nah, guys, listen, we've been laying, like, how are we superheroes laying this guy run around killing people in our name? And when he messes up, we all look bad. And now look, there's a big trial going on because of him. And Cap's like, damn you right and everyone's like all right i guess you're right and only like wolverine's the one going like i'm not getting involved with this because i like <laughs> so yeah also just quickly about that door that door is the reason i like the inhumans because aldrak isn't just door he's actually an inhuman imagine going into your terra genesis you're like oh i wonder if i'm gonna come out with like butterfly wings i'm gonna come out with like supersonic voice you just come out you're like door I am Dora now. <laughs> this shit sucks. Sorry, it really much, But it's a good life. I was about to say, it helped his game because now there's a lot of people inside him. Mm, good shit. No? Sorry. And with that. <laughs> Should we do some listener questions? No. Last thing I want to talk about before I go to listener questions. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> We just we did get to talk about some of the stuff I wanted to talk about. I wanted to just mention that when Johnny returns, I thought it was really cool to see him being like, "There's something I need to do." And then we get cuts of everyone like looking up in the sky, and then there's a mm -hmm. giant flaming four in the air, and that's the motivation Ben needed to like fight through. Because that's my favorite thing about Ben is that he's a fighter, and that's the one thing I'm not trying to diss Slots Run on Fantastic Four, but the one thing I loved about Slots Run was that he totally understood that Ben Grimm is a fighter and he fights for the people he loves. When the chips are down, there's no one he can rely on more than Ben Grimm when he's fighting for something he loves. So and you get that moment in this where he's just like, I got no more juice, but hey, my boy's back. So I guess I got to keep going. <laughs> and he gets up and he clobbers machines that he shouldn't be able to defeat by himself. And I think that's really what superhero comics is about. Mm -hmm. I'm going to throw it out there, Evan. Mm -hmm. Dan Slott's Fantastic Four hits pretty hard when you don't got Twitter whispering in your ear that it's ass. I think you should give us some time and take a step back and read it because I think it's pretty good. I'm going to try again, but I want to. I'm going to read Ryan North's run for a little bit. I think first. That's okay. I, I like, give it enough time 
that you don't yeah. remember how mad people were that Johnny Storm cheated on cheated his girlfriend. Yeah. I'm still I was <laughs> mad about a... that, so I don't know if that's ever going to alleviate, but I'm going to mm-hmm. give it a fair chance. I'm also so mad about the Franklin Richard thing, so it's going to be a little bit. I'm, I'm mad about that one. That one. That one was bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> love slot. That was bullshit. I, I I have nothing to say about that one, but <laughs> the Johnny I, stuff. Yeah, it's like he makes a mistake. He is punished in the story. He learns from the mistake. Like that. It's a story arc. Like we, yeah. you might not love the mistake, but like people were acting like ba 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 ba. But like once you read the whole thing like it's a pretty interesting story about johnny and his relationships with women over the years in those fantastic four comics that i thought was much more thoughtful than people gave it credit for mm-hmm. okay i'm i'm interested in it only because i've seen the reaction when doom finds out and the <laughs> the like four panels of them in a row and you can see reed's hands stretch through the panels just to smack that dumbass on the head i i can't wait to get there and Namor laughing was very funny. So Namor laughing is, is always so funny. funny. Oh man! Before I forget, I just want another call out. I love the moment when they're all getting ready to fight this armada, and then Namor goes, "Can I just say I'm doing this for love?" When Emma Frost and Sue Storm are literal feet apart from each other, he's a king for that. At the Listen. time, he's he's dating Emma Frost, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's gross. That was fucking wild. Thing. I love both those characters. They they're they deserve better. Each other. They should not be together. I'm not going to lie. Matt Fraction sold me. The issue where Namor and Emma just flirt for two straight issues. I was like, damn, it's disgusting. I love it. Yeah. Love me some Matty Fraction. These are the two worst people I've ever read being in love, and they <laughs> deserve each other. Wow. I just love Scott Emma so much. I just can't. It's great. And it's like, Namor is 100% Emma being like, man, Scott is in his being a military leader era. I need some fish dick. Sue, <laughs> are you okay with it? And she's like, please take him. I haven't wanted that since 1964. <laughs> and then Namor, I'm not convinced Namor knows the difference. Like Emma showed up and he was like, <laughs> Sue, my beloved. <laughs> and she's like, law. she's like, sure. Worker. <laughs> I'm in a bad place. I'll take what I can get. Jesus. Oh. Which, by the way, uh, if you're a fan of Emma being with terrible people, Mark no. Wade's going to bitch to sell you on. Stop. Oh, Shut the fuck my up. God. I, I swear to God, she's showing up. She's showing up in that run. And I, if it fucking happens, I will burn Marvel Comics to the ground. I learned something. I listened to an interview with Jerry Duggan. His Iron Man is just, I don't get to publish enough issues of X-Men to cover my whole story. So all the X-Men stuff there is just like spillover of like extra story that he's got. So I don't think there's some long like Emma's going to end up with Tony arc. I genuinely think it's him being like, I want 1.5 X-Men stories. What Damn. people think Marvel editorial is doing to them with Spider-Man and MJ is what they're doing to me, but with Emma Frost and Tony Stark. <laughs> they're like... I'm the one holdout. It's going to happen. <laughs> I need that that Breaking Bad gif where he's just making all the... He's doing all the um, <laughs> the chemistry. It's just Marvel creating the worst possible pairings in the <laughs> fucking universe. I really don't want that. That might kill singles for me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I don't even read Iron Man, and that might do it. More for me, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Doug's like, my surrogate character gets to date Emma Frost. (laughs) 
Everyone else gets hey, second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. My I surrogate character. I wouldn't go that far. I'm not saying he's a surrogate. I think he's horrible, and I love him. And I love. If there's one thing that I love, it's just two people being the worst together. <laughs> that's why you like this podcast so much. It's three people yeah. being the worst together. Boom. I'm right here. Also, Evan is doing good. <laughs> we need good once a month. <laughs> Anyways, it's time for listener questions. <laughs> yes, I no, think it's so. not. I think no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was kidding. I got nothing. To say. Oh my fucking god! Okay, I our first listener know. question. Wait, 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 wait! No, I actually do have one more thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sounds right. I can't be stopped. I never miss. <laughs> I, Dallas is a 30 minute tangent on why Tony and Emma are the future. <laughs> no. I do think, just one last note on a metatextual bit, Spider Man and Ben talking for me was really fun, just as like surrogates for Stan Lee's two biggest collaborators, right? Mm. Like Peter Parker is so St- Steve Ditko and Ben Grimm is so Jack Kirby to have those two characters sitting alone in a room having a conversation i don't think i'd ever seen that like i don't see them as characters with a big relationship so that made my heart a little bit warm like hey it's the two guys that made all this you know and we get to Mm -hmm. see them together it was just a sweet metatextual moment in my head it's a nice takeaway that's cute yeah Yeah, i like that now now think we can do speak now forever hold you peace okay first question today comes from penny green hi comics collective this question is less about the fantastic four book and more about hickman in general what's your opinion on hickman's next project marvel being ultimate invasion if you've already talked about this in the episode then i simply leave you with the mental image the thing in 90s sue storm costume thank you love the show thank you for that mental image penny green ben ben could rock it can you oh, that's a pun. It's a pun. Fuck. Yes, let's go. Oh, boo. <laughs> Didn't even think boo. about it. That was beautiful. I'm so happy. But Evan, <laughs> Ultimate Invasion, I know you have thoughts. I am the biggest defender of the Ultimate Universe mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. One, well, let me start by saying it's a bad universe <laughs> that does bad things. <laughs> Uh, it's very racist and very sexist. It totally missed the point of Magneto and his rebirth, and it made uh, some very, very questionable comments about um, war and America's involvement in it, even though it tried to do something really cool <laughs> about that and say something real about it. Um, it the real thing they said was, hell yeah, Iraq! Bow now! Bow now! Some men were born! This is our Vietnam. I don't think that means what you think it means. Does this A stand for France? (laughs) We love a good no-nonsense black and white war. It is October 2001, and we're writing the Ultimates, baby. Woo! Hulk no gay! (laughs) Hulk love woman. That's for beta. Anyway, I think... My thing about the Ultimate Universe is that I think it's a great idea having a, a fresh starting point for people to jump on. That's where I came on for, really came on to Marvel Comics. I was reading Marvel Comics before that, but I didn't care about continuity. I didn't understand continuity. Then Ultimate Spider-Man came along. And for me, that was the moment where I was like, 
oh, I have a jumping on point. Now I get Spider-Man. Now I love, I love Spider-Man before. Now I love Spider-Man. I get it. So, and then as it went on, it kind of got worse and got ruined. <laughs> and then it got better and it got worse again. Then it died. So, but I've been missing that. There's not an Elseworld story right now besides, uh, well, there was DC versus Vampires and something happened with that. And there's Deceased, but that's ending. So really, there's not really a premiere Elseworld multiverse story for me. And so I'm hoping Ultimate Universe comes back in a big way so that fills that gap where we get a, an actual Elseworld story where we get a new jumping on point, fresh takes on characters. And what I think the Ultimate Universe is all about is just opportunity. You have opportunities to say something entirely new about a character, to reinvent it, to get that feeling of a fresh start for people, even if it's not a complete fresh start. I don't think you need to start the Ultimate Universe at square one again, but to have just like an Ultimate book and a Spider-Woman book and say, hey, jump on. Here's new takes on characters you didn't know about. Here's Spider-Woman fighting a new version of, I don't know, Mr. Negative or something. And what can we say about Mr. Negative that we can't say in 616? And I'm sure there's a lot of things because 616 wants to be very friendly for families. And Ultimate Universe has that opportunity to say, oh, who else can we target in the mm-hmm. more adult area? Who What's else up? can we target? Yeah, because <laughs> if you are going, yeah, because if you're going to read Ultimate Universe, you're going to be a target. You're a victim. All right, you yeah, deserve you said, compensation. When you said, "What can they do to Mister Negative?" I said, "I don't want to know." Said, Who else can we target? I was like, "I really don't want to know." So anyway, here's uh-uh. Mr. Uh-uh. <laughs> here's our Mister Negative. He eats babies, but that's completely aside from the point. Um, oh in- God. <laughs> Who else can we put in the next ultimatum? Hmm. <laughs> what, what other new racists can we invent? <laughs> I think that it was really cool of the Ultimate Universe to make a universe for the Republicans. They said, listen, 616, it might be for the centrists. It's so funny reading, going back and reading that universe. Because you go back and you read the first Ultimates run and you start, you realize that it was trying to be anti-war or like anti-American imperialism. But then and you it just gave it. up halfway through. Yeah. Like you're reading it, you're like, oh, it's like anti-American imperialism. And you hear the interviews that uh, Mark Millar was saying, you're like, oh, this is anti-American imperialism. And then you see him taking pictures with American troops and like talking about American imperialism in a good way. And you read the rest of the book and you're like, where do we lose the thread? Where are we what is your solution more guns? Bigger guns? What are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, sorry. I love oh that. My God. It's so weird how Civil War started the same way. Anyway, I feel like we've we've derailed a long way from where I was going to pick up, but going uh, kind of going off of what Evan said earlier. Before, who can we target? Next? We talked about all of the yeah. Who do you want to target? Next, Give us um, specifics. Who are you targeting? It's Marvel. <laughs> I don't want her in the Ultimate Universe. No, don't. No. no thanks. Please, I'm okay. Anyway. Uh, kind of going off of what Evan was saying earlier, I do agree. I think the ultimate universe did a lot of like things that 616 couldn't. It was uh, like a fresh jumping on point with stuff like Ultimate Spider-Man, but it also opened up the door for kind of like neat, broader commentary stuff like, again, earlier Ultimates and even kind of like the the later stuff with actually what Hickman did when he jumped in. I think the ultimate universe is something that has a lot of really great storytelling potential. You just need someone with a strong vision to come in and tell those stories. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm always 
in on what Hickman has going. So if he's coming in, if he has a defined vision, I can't wait to see what he does. Big word. Do you have any thoughts, Anne? Nope. I'm just, we'll see what happens when we get there. I'm interested by the fact he's bringing the Illuminati back. Love Hickman's Mm -hmm. favorite boys club. We'll see what happens. (laughs) I am very curious to see how this progresses the larger Jonathan Hickman narrative. Because I think his story with Valerio Skiti is still a big secret, but this seems like a pretty clear outgrowth of we're going to keep talking about how you build the good society, how bad men and good men approach the same goal. This feels like where that story is going to keep going and happening. And I love that story. I've loved it in this. I love it in his Avengers. I love it in his X-Men. I'm going to love it in his ultimate universe. I think that it's a topic that he has a lot to say about with a lot of cool guitar riff moments. So I'm (laughs) buckled in. I know I think before I was saying we could skip like his Hickman's ultimate universe stuff that he didn't We can't anymore. I don't think we can skip that. And I think that also means we have to read Ultimate Doomsday. (gasps) So I'm sorry, Anne, but we're diving into that world. And I think Carol Danvers is in it. I think they treat her really mean. Yep. I think Nick Fury just talks down to her the entire time. So I was preparing you for that right now. (laughs) I mean, Ultimate Carol Danvers fucking destroys it. She's a cop. So, yeah, shout out to shout out to the Geek Explain podcast who refer to Carol as Top Cop over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Top Cop. Spider Woman's in it. You, she gets you know, the, no. stuff. Don't so, tempt me. Don't tempt no, me. I'm just saying. Oh, I'm just saying. The biggest bullshit about Carol Danvers that frustrates me to no end is that she spent her her entire childhood underneath the thumb of a father who kept telling her she was not good enough and was so strict with her. And the first thing she does when she gets out of his care is go fucking join the army where she can take more orders from people telling her she's not good enough. That makes no fucking sense and never has unless you want to get into the idea that Carol Danvers still hasn't escaped that place she was at the beginning where she feels like she's not good enough in which case there's a lot of story to explore but people would much rather just be like oh you know what she's just the military girl she just keep her there that's my that's my frustration that's my carol danvers rant this has been that's been building up for a while i need to get that out there i need someone to explore that with carol i need her to get out of that bad place and uh, i hate the ultimate I, universe i want to talk with you off mic about that because i have a have a very similar read on Quite a few characters like that. Yeah, I would love to. Why not Kelly Thompson? We're coming for you. You Pack your bags right now. (laughs) Kelly Thompson's run is just fine. She's doing just fine. I'm still waiting for that great Carol Danvers run. It's out there. It's going to happen. I mean, as a Spider-Man fan, it's usually good. So (laughs) no issues over here. Yeah, what's Spider-Man doing these days? I hear hear great things. Famously famously positive Twitter presence. Famously. (laughs) Everyone loves the run, always. Hey, man, good rule of thumb. If everyone else is hating it, I tend to like it. So (laughs) I'm having a good time. Someone told me the other day that Spider-Man fans started complaining around the Clone Saga, and they just never stopped. Yeah. I don't know if that's accurate or not. It's also great. I also love Spider-Man fans because they have such... um, What's the opposite of recency bias? Like, <laughs> whatever the new thing is, they hate a lot. Mm-hmm. And they always go back and be like, the Clone Saga was actually better than this. Let me explain. And I was like, what were you saying during the Clone Saga, though? Let's go back and see. Like, oh, yeah, so you hated it then. 
and now it's good because you don't like this. And the Spencer run was bad. No, the slot run was bad, but now you like it because you don't like Spencer run. But the Spencer run's bad, but now you like it because you don't like this run. So I think my favorite example of this is when John Romita Sr. becomes the artist. And in the letters columns, they're like, man, Spider-Man used to be pretty great. Back in <laughs> like number 12, it was really saying some stuff. But now it's just this melodramatic soap opera romance bullshit. Is anyone else sick of this? And I was like, you are 17 issues in. 17. What are you talking about? It used to be great. It used to be a real That's nation. <laughs> it's baked into nation. the character. Baked into... I, there's a letter in like Amazing Spider-Man number three that is like, I really just don't see this character going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I want to awesome. frame that and put it on my wall. It rules. <laughs> we need to we need to find that person <laughs> to and track keep him alive like... for the rest of eternity so he can live in shame. <laughs> <laughs> just make him watch Sam Raimi's underrated masterpiece Spider-Man 2 <laughs> over and over and over again. There there have been plenty of people who have been wrong in history, but no one has been more wrong than that guy. <laughs> That's okay. I love one of my favorite things about the classic Marvel omnibuses is that they include the letters pages. Mm-hmm. So, like, I've been reading some of the old Shang Chi comics, which, by the way, racist as hell, but also Uh-oh. cool as hell. And you really got to walk that line. And the letters column over and over is this one guy who keeps writing in, and he's like, "You guys are so close." This comic is great, but as an Asian American, I can't stand by what you're doing anymore. <laughs> if you just make a few changes, this will be perfect. He's like, stop painting every Asian, lemon yellow, and then Shang-Chi, tangerine orange. It's that simple. Everything else I can forgive. And the letter will be like, we're working on this. And then 20 issues later, it's him again. He's like, I'm at my wit's end. <laughs> Please. <laughs> There's one more thing earnestly is like this means so much to me as like Asian representation, the the like deep internal story of Shang-Chi. Like you're getting so much right, and then the art is just horrendous. What is going on here? Please just give me a break. And they're like, there's literally a part where they're like, we changed the color code on Shang-Chi. What more do you want? And he's like, more. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like one man's battle against the Shang-Chi creators. <laughs> exactly. One man fighting in the trenches. I hope that guy's they still alive and got to see the newest Shang-Chi. Run. I, I hope hey, he's, he's, he, yeah. is, he is alive. And they contacted him for all of the Marvels to get his statement. Because they're like, this was so funny. That's how I got called out that he was in there. So that's why I'm reading A, that story. And then his letters. Because that book was like, this guy's the hero of Shang-Chi. <laughs> and awesome. what Shang is doing great but this writer and they contacted him he's like i can't believe you read all those letters from when i was like 23 and just angry at shang chi <laughs> i'm in my 50s now that's awesome i can't wait for someone to contact me in my 50s it's like so we saw your tweets um <laughs> carol danvers actually is a cop and you'll be like he'll, he'll leave the call <laughs> call is over all right let's see if we can get some of these out quick Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, right. I'll read the next one because I already read that big long War of Kings thing. Mm-hmm. So this is from Mason Gonzalez. This is his question. Hi guys, sorry I'm sending this on a Fantastic Four episode again. I will listen to the normal DC Marvel stuff. I just need more money to buy and read them. I'm sorry. 
uh, we're pretty mad, Mason. <laughs> I'm uh, furious. We've been meaning to talk to you about this, but we'll do that off air, Mason. Uh, yeah, my Mason, question... I'd just like to add, you're on my list now. I don't know you, but I will know you. <laughs> <laughs> and be your best friend. My Mason, question so for sorry. you <laughs> is what do you think it will take for Marvel to eventually let Franklin and Valeria go have their own adventures in their own book? That's something I'd want to read. Also, for Dallas, I know you've been reading more Stephen King. Have you begun your journey to the Dark Tower yet? And for Anne, who is the best character in all of comics, and why is it Batman? LOL, sorry. And then he sent a follow-up PS. Sorry to bother you. Don't have to read this one. I'm doing it. What do you guys hope Hickman's story with Valerio Skiti will be? An original character or an existing one? Also, any excitement for Ultimate Invasion? So a couple things there. Valeria and Franklin, their own book. Do we want that? Is it going to happen? No and no. It's not going to happen. I do want it. You keep pronouncing Valeria like diarrhea. (laughs) 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 Is that not is that how it's pronounced? Please don't tell me that's how it's actually pronounced. No, it's Valeria. Okay, (laughs) I just am stupid. (laughs) No, 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 I didn't. I didn't mean to call you out. That was just that was just a little funny. I'm sorry. I should have called you out off air. I'm bad. So we don't think they're going to get their book. No, not in a million years. Yeah, not in a million well, years. Is that happening? Love they, to see it, though. I could see Those a kids will shot. never be grown. Those kids will never be grown. They're creeping there faster than a lot of other characters do, though. There's actually a fan theory that Franklin is the character who created the sliding timescale. Because in like out of context stories, characters aged at a normal pace until Franklin was born. And then they realized, oh, these books can't keep aging at a normal pace because they have to be available for the next generation of readers. And that's when they started aging slowly. And well, Heroes Reborn also happened because of Franklin, too. I was about to say, yeah, he he made this universe. So yeah. he probably did fuck with the t- uh, timeline. And so, yeah. Franklin is the reason everything's so that no one grows up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the Franklin's idea that he the has... reason that Spider-Man's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Franklin's keeping them apart. He likes the soap opera. Thank you very much. Although the mutants want to worry about why the hate machines are still around. <laughs> it's like they should have known he wasn't actually a mutant. All right. And I have read The Gunslinger. And I thought it was good. And then I decided to go back and read The Stand so I could meet Mr. Flag in all his glory before continuing mm-hmm. The Dark Tower. But then I'm going to keep trugging along. I am going to read Misery before I jump in, I've decided. That has nothing to do with The Dark Tower. It's just supposed to be good. And I have a friend that wants to read them together. And then I'll go to The Dark Tower. Stephen Misery King rules. Is, Misery is so good. I've never, ever before seen a book that I wanted to turn away from more than Misery, but I just it wouldn't let me and I you get through like 150 pages in one sitting and then you just feel so icky later and you're like I can't I can't go back but you you do you go back you're just as captive as he is it's gonna it's a long ride also Batman's not the greatest um he yeah, is no the single most written about fictional character in human history more than Sherlock Holmes more than Sherlock Holmes there are more Batman stories Whoa. than anyone else in the history of humankind that's God, crazy. No idea. That's awful. I'm so Mark so that to Chip Zdarsky as a congrats for getting Batman. He said, "Fun fact," da, 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 and then he said, "Good luck coming up with something new." 
And Chip's like, you can't tell if Mark Wade hates me or not. <laughs> yep. Can you imagine all those stories? He still hasn't had sex. That is crazy. <laughs> it's, it's rough. Man, I really hope that humanity recovers soon from their lack of taste. But, you know, that's okay. Jeez Louise. Do you want to read the question from Jay? Oh, wait, real I quick. Can... Um, just so Mason knows. Uh, we kind of, was that a question for Mason? Yeah, it was for Mason. Okay, yeah, Mason, how's it going? It's Evan. Um, yeah, so we kind of know what Hickman's writing with uh, what's her, what's his face? Scalario. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be kind of a story, kind of similar to Sandman, and it's very likely going to star like uh, Eternity and all those elder beings in the humanized form. So we I saw like the Never Queen. What? We'll see. I don't know. From... What that means. Uh, so we like, we saw some concept art, so it basically kind of confirmed that. Uh, but it's not confirmed yet. But I just want to give you a heads up that you should expect something like that. And if we maybe this is where we get Gwenpool back. I don't know. There's hope. I doubt it. Fuck you. <laughs> I want I want Gwenpool back, Evan. I'll I'll be with you Thank on that you. one. I'm still betting on Alyssa Wong. Panel to show you. <laughs> Alyssa Wong's like my last hope. I hope they bring her back for. Deadpool or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. I'm desperate. I was <sighs> this close to buying the Gwenpool omnibus, and then I didn't yeah, because it's expensive. I know. Oh, <laughs> so you know? Interesting. That's very interesting. I know before that sentence was finished. Okay. Let's go. You think we're learning a lot about Dallas today. <laughs> That's a big next... whoop daisy That one didn't hit as hard as you're dumb and pronounce things wrong. So I didn't. I didn't. I see you're dumb. You're smart. You're really, really smart. I feel so bad. Uh... I'm gonna apologize profusely off air and send you money for DoorDash tomorrow. Okay, so Jay's next question, which Dallas is gonna give a very smart answer to, because hope that this meal doesn't give you Valeria. Because uh-huh. <laughs> you pronounce no. it funny. <laughs> that would have been, been funny, though. Okay. Um, really enjoy hearing your opinions on Hickman's FF run and looking forward to listening to your takes on his Avengers and eventually Secret Wars. I have two quick questions. Number one, if you could choose any character to add to the future foundation, who would it be? And two, we all know that Sue isn't treated the best. So if you were to put on a different team, what team would it be? Thanks, Jay. Good questions, Jay. So who's smart enough to join the Future Foundation? Moon Not Girl. smart enough? The Gwenpool. Oh, Moon Girl's good too. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, Moon Girl. Second. Uh, candidate for me would be Riri. That's a good one too. That's okay. also. Isn't Kamala doing some fun science stuff with Peter right now in that run? That's yeah. true. You want to know the funniest shit in the world? I was about to say Kamala Harris, and then you said, "Isn't Kamala?" And I went, "Oh!" And then you went, "Con." And I was like, "Oh, that's funny." I was about we to did say it read. joke. <laughs> I gotta be on my toes now. Okay, those are all great picks. I think everyone's everyone's doing great. Kamala Harris would be great. Um, we so where would we, we want to see read? Sue? Hey, that girl, where? the Future Foundation. That was me. That was me, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> we defeated Galactus. He's still here, Kamala. No, we did it. We did, we did it. it. God, God forbid if King ever smokes weed, get his ass out of here. She's on that. <laughs> Twenty years to life. 
Yeah, Reed, that, uh, that prison in the negative zone. I have some thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You you get that one. I deserve that one. Um, where would Sue fit in really well that isn't here with the FF? The Ultimates. The Ultimates are not the way. Not Ultimate Universe. Wait, hold on. Wait. Actually, pause. You guys you don't know. You don't get it. Ultimate Universe Sue Storm is the GOAT. She's the yeah. best character in the Ultimate Universe, hands down. Like, it's not even close. So she does actually deserve to be on any team she wants to be, including the Ultimates. But I was referring to Al Ewing's the Ultimates when I said Ultimates. Because yeah. I think her bouncing off of, like, uh, she's smart. She is one of the yeah. smartest people that we just don't talk about. She's, like, close to Reed's level. Like, and she's smarter in other things than Reed is. So I think she has a different perspective she could bring to that team. She's also a powerhouse. She should be fighting with those big dogs. So I think she'd fit in perfectly with Lifebringer Galactus and T'Challa mm-hmm. and Carol Danvers and Blue Marvel and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Not a Rambo. That's be- a really good pick. Yeah. Honestly, she's too smart for the Avengers. So. <laughs> yes, easily. <laughs> I, I guess in that. You thing, read then. Mark Wade's solo run on her, right? Was that fun? Yes. It is incredibly fun. Mark Ray, Mark Wade does a great job making up for everything that he didn't do on his initial Fantastic Four run. So it's definitely a book that's worth checking out. She does some really cool spy shit, which is fun. I was trying to think of a great spy team she'd be great on, but spies don't typically have teams. So I couldn't think of anything off the bat other than just saying like S.H.I.E.L.D. But that's that's what that book is. Yeah, uh, I guess like... Sorry. No, go for it. I was going to say, like, bouncing off of the the Ewing trend, what about uh, the Defenders? Yeah, Defenders Beyond? That's good. I like that. Yeah. Actually, yeah, that's that's wonderful. She fit right in there. <laughs> A really dumb choice, Next Wave, would be very funny. Ooh, yeah. Just seeing her interact oh. with... Uh, like Elsa Bloodstone. Mm-hmm. I want to see Sue Storm and Boom Boom have a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> this is actually, that's that's actually kind of, this is a mom who's been pent up with her kids and her family forever. To see her get out of her element and just hang out, that would be, that would be fantastic. I can't mm-hmm. wait to see, I can't wait to see her curse. Put Sue put Storm her, on the Exterminators. I was literally <laughs> going to say, put her back in that 90s outfit and send her to the Exterminators. It's what the people need. Yeah. That'd be awesome. All Uh, right. The next question has a long preamble, but the question is right at the end. Um, What has been your favorite or most memorable moment from reading the Hickman run so far? Also, who wrote this in? I didn't write it down. Sorry. Thanks, stranger. Um, my favorite moment so far, I think it's still Giant Storm's death. I think that was a cool send off, and even though it's kind of a fake out, but it, I don't want to call it a fake out, but it was really just a beautiful moment. Um, and it led to some really cool ideas. And Johnny doesn't get a lot of times; he gets a lot of times to like redeem himself, but it's never really done in a way that feels like it's gonna last. Um, and this is the one time where it felt like his own thing, where he got to do a big moment and it feels like something that will stay with him for a while after this. And I think it does. I, w- I would argue that mm-hmm. it does. Yeah. I really like to me, my Galactus. And this is from Caleb Hines, by the way, I went and looked it up. Oh, awesome. Thanks, Caleb. 
to me, but, my yeah, to me, my Galactus is incredible. I really like all the action stuff with Sue. I love her putting Namor in his place and just, <sighs> yeah, that was wonderful. But I think my favorite moment has been Reed opening that door when he decides to stay at the very beginning. I love that. That's oh. real good. Hits you right in the feels. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, my favorite moment is actually the end of FF. Um, I love seeing where Franklin goes as a character, and I love the acknowledgement that it's all because of the family he had. It's all because of Johnny, of Ben, of Reed and Sue, and how they all kind of left their own marks on him and made him the best person that he can be. And I love the ending to that, too, talking about like the metaphor of the door and how you are who you choose to be at the end of the day. Mm. I love that. Do we want to hurry and bang out the last question? My laptop is moments from time. Yes, go. We can bang it out, yeah. All right. Uh, who do you not want to see Hickman write? My answer is oh. long-term Spider-Man. I like him in this Fantastic Four. I don't want a Hickman Spider-Man run. I'm not going to answer this. I feel I give Hickman a lot of shit, but I think he could write pretty much anyone very well. If he puts the right energy into it, I have my issues with his Ryan for Kokoa era, but he could write a great X-Men book. Mm-hmm. Um, Literally anyone who spends their time on the street. Hickman is a larger than life writer. I don't need his his crime drama. I'm not interested. I don't think it'd be it'd be great. I don't want to see a Daredevil or Iron Fist Hickman book anytime soon. What about his run on Luke Cage? You want to see his take on Luke Cage? I'm good, actually. I'm, yeah, I'm good. good. White boys. Okay. <laughs> see, I'll counter, I'll counter the street character stuff with Black Monday Murders. That's a really mm-hmm. good one. I It's tricky because I, I'm kind of in the same boat as Evan. I I feel like he's he's got a very interesting voice that you can apply to a lot of characters in big ways uh hmm. <laughs> maybe howard the duck i don't know <laughs> actually i'd kill for that one that'd be fun <laughs> yeah yeah you're right i actually that that sounds awesome i don't i don't have anybody i really want to see him write the guardians of the galaxy Ooh, oh yeah that'd be great i feel like that'd be dope all right. Can we roll through the end credits? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Let's save your laptop. Okay. If All you right. like the show and want to hear more from us through the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective or TikTok account at The Comics Collective, or you can find each of us at Daleks underscore comics, at and Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. Okay. Um, also, Evan, Doug, where can people find you? Um, real quick, you can find me at Evan Reads Comics on Twitter. You can also find me uh, at my podcast where I co-host with Dallas. We call it What's Next Comic Podcast, where every month we go over the monthly solicitations for Marvel Comics and other things. It's a really good podcast, and if you like this podcast, you like that one. I also really quickly wanted to plug uh, Outer Darkness. I just read it recently. It's by uh, John Layman and Alfu Chan, and if you like Fantastic Four nonsense, you'll like this. It's very mean-spirited. It's very funny. It's very cool clash of uh, sci-fi religion. I've also been reading a lot of Jonah Hex, so I think everyone should go back and read The Grace uh oh can't remember how to pronounce his name uh Pal- palmiotto Pal- palmiotti 
uh, run that's from, thank you, from the 2006 era uh, and then moves into the new 52. It was like awesome. a well-oiled machine. I uh, the comics this week. <laughs> I I don't know how I can measure up to that. Uh, you oh, can find me on. <laughs> okay, you can find me on YouTube at For Every Kind of Geek and everywhere else at Just Every Kind of Geek. Awesome, and thank you guys both so much for being here today. We really, really appreciate you both. Awesome to have, and we always appreciate your insights. Um, for everyone listening, if you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening, and give us a five-star review, and we will le- read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. Want more Doug and Evan? Let us know there. We'd love to hear it. And next week, you get to come back here. We are going to be reading something a bit different, but it's going to be very exciting. We're taking a look at Calvin and Hobbes next week. So it's going to be a blast. I don't know... Dallas might be coming. Maybe he keeps Dallas's video keeps trying to jump in. Um, if he gets, if he loads in, he can tell us which book exactly we're reading. I'm pretty sure it's a just a greatest of collection. I'm not sure specifically which one. Just so keep an eye on our um, keep an eye on our social media, and we will let you know on Wednesday what we are reading specifically. Bye. Bye. Bye.